there was a lot of things coming at you when you came in the door, right? You've got like name tags, there's communion cups. We are gifting you all a Bible. If you haven't gotten a copy of this book of Mark as we go through our study, grab it. There is a bulletin. If you remember those things, do you remember what bulletins were back in the day? Right? There was, there's an actual bulletin, kind of just a fun, like, oh, remember that, you know? Uh, is in there with lots of information um, about some different programs that we have coming up, um, like with our Racial Reconciliation Task Force. Um, and then on top of it all, um, we had a study guide that is actually intended to help you study through the Word of God on your own or with a small group. Um, please make sure you grab those, especially uh, if you get nothing else, get the Bible, right? Because this is church, right? You should get a Bible. Um, and then after that, make sure you grab a study guide and some of those other elements as well. Now, because we want to walk through the book of Mark. And I had someone ask me, Brian, why the book of Mark? Why the book of Mark? And it seems like kind of an odd, you know, maybe an odd question to ask, but it is a little bit fair. Did you know that the book of Mark is actually the single most neglected gospel of the four gospels? In fact, even in the early church, it was over 200 years before anybody even wrote a commentary on the book of Mark, right? And there's, there's, some, there's some reasons for that, why sometimes people kind of bounce off it a little bit. And but, but what I want you to see through this series and what my real heart in this is, is Mark is about discipleship. Mark is about following after Jesus, who's this all-powerful messianic figure, but somehow in, in God's crazy economy, he's also this suffering servant, this individual who takes on uh, different things of, of pain and difficulty and challenge in order to serve those around him. And, and it actually sets a beautiful precedent for disciples who follow after. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the book of Mark. I hope you join us for each week, um, you know, in person or online. And we're going to go through 14 weeks learning what does it look like to follow after Jesus. Now let me give you a little bit of a big introduction uh, of the book of Mark. Let's talk the outline here, okay? So when we talk about the book of Mark... Chapters 1 through 8, at least the first portion of 8, that's what the little A means next to it, right? 1 through 8a, we really see Jesus as this all-powerful Messiah. Now, um, the way that Mark writes, if I were to equate it to something in literature today, I might say it's like the Hunger Games, right? <laughs> Do you remember when the Hunger Games came out? It was just this thing where you kept doing a page turner. The style of writing was just boom, 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 next, next, next. I mean, it was very action-packed oriented, not these long-winded explanations, just quick-moving, quick pace. That's actually the book of Mark. Mark is, is, uh, loves this word, and immediately, you will see this over and over and over in the text, and immediately this happened, and immediately this happened. And actually, in some ways, if you don't slow down, it can kind of feel like you're just getting these bullet points. I mean, where maybe, you know, the book of Matthew will take three paragraphs to tell something. Mark says it in like one sentence, right? And it just boom, 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 moves fast, quick, and forward. An example of this, at the start of chapter one, there's no announcement of Jesus' birth. There's no story of Mary. There's no magi, wise men. It's just boom, Jesus appears and starts doing ministry, right? It's very quick pace. It's shorter than any of the other gospels. And in fact, over 90% of the content in this book is actually found in the other Gospels, which is part of why some people go, I don't know, why read Mark, right? Just <laughs> read the people talk a little bit more about it. But I promise you, Mark actually has something really beautiful 
in this text. See, he starts in 1 through 8a that Jesus is the all-powerful Messiah, but 8b through 10, this is where the curtain kind of pulls back. We get this uh, mount of transfiguration, and we actually learn about who Jesus truly is, which, by the way, isn't what a lot of people thought. Who is Jesus, and, and what is his mission about? And then we spend a um, a huge check, a section of the book there at the very end, 11 through 16, Jesus as the suffering servant, the one who goes, who dies on the cross for our sins. Let's go to the next slide here. Uh, not just as we talk about the outline, but I want to talk about bagels for a moment. Okay, I want to talk about bagels, um, not just because I'm trying to make everybody hungry here, but I want to talk to you about something that the book of Mark is famous for, that I, that I want us to really dig in on. Uh, we call them bagels. Actually, technically, if you want to impress your friends at lunch today, uh, they're intercalations. Um, this is what it is, right? An intercalation. There are six of them in the book of Mark, and it's a specific literary technique where Mark does a sandwiching story, right? You have one story over here on this side. You have a story over here on this side. They're related, and smack dab in the middle is the schmear or the locks or whatever, right? whatever you choose, right? And, and, and both of these highlight that central story. They interpret each other. It's actually a really awesome thing throughout the book of Mark that we're going to be digging into that Mark is famous for. Now, you may be thinking at this point, wait a minute, Brian, did you eat a bagel in preparation for today's message? Yes, friends, I did. I did. And I may do it every Sunday for the book of Mark. Um, why? Because I'm committed. I'm a committed person, right? Committed to preaching, probably committed to bagels too, but we're going to see it. It's a really cool feature that's very unique to the book of Mark. Lastly, by way of introduction on our next slide here, a couple things I want you to know as we enter into it that really does matter. First of all, we find that this is most likely tradition uh, associates this with John Mark as the author of it. Okay, so if you remember some of your stories, right, uh, in the book of Acts, which hopefully you remember something of the book of Acts because we just did 28 weeks in it, right? Um, but John Mark, what was John Mark famous for? Does anyone remember? He got cut from the team. This is the guy that got cut from the team. I mean, he was a helper along, most likely, John Mark is recording the thoughts of Peter, Right? As Peter's recounting stories of what he remembers about Jesus, John Mark scribes it down, and that is the book of Mark. He was not one of the apostles, okay? Mark was not one of the apostles. But John Mark was the person who was like the assistant who supported and helped Peter and Barnabas, and something went off the rails. This guy got caught up in something. He, something pulled his heart away. He became flaky, and Paul said, you're out. You're cut from the team. I cannot rely on you. In fact, it was such a, such a contentious moment. Barnabas and Paul split and go different directions because he was related to Barnabas, right? So you got kind of this family dynamic going on. And then later, when you read, the God, uh, read um, Paul's writings, you find him saying things like, I'm sending John Mark, who is incredibly helpful to me in the ministry, right? Obviously, they patch things up. They work through it. But I do want to at least point this out. The book who we're reading right now, who you just got as a gift on the way in, was cut from Paul's team. That's what the author was, right? I think there's something beautiful in that. Friends, his mercies are new every morning. And God used Mark, John Mark, in a tremendous way. 
So if you get cut from a Rwanda missions trip, there is still hope for you, friends. That's the, that's the, that's the, the takeaway. Okay, this was written by John Mark, but I do want to elevate us a bit here and say this was also written by the Holy Spirit. We don't believe this was just uh, human people by themselves coming up with stories, right? The, the Holy Spirit superintended the process so that every word that was said is true. And that matters. Why? Well, because John Mark was writing for, likely, the church in Rome during Nero's reign. And I don't know if you guys know anything about Nero, but the guy was off the rails, right? Rome got burnt down. Most historians at the time, not just today, said it was probably him who did it. And guess who he blamed? The Christians. And so people were being burned at the stake. People were being killed. It was an intense moment. A lot of suffering that is going on. So you can understand why John Mark wants to communicate about how Jesus is the one who follows God, and even in the face of suffering, he serves and finds an eternal reward in that. So he's writing to a specific context, and it's most likely that. But because it's not just John Mark, because it's the Holy Spirit, it's actually written for you today and all of God's people to invite you on this journey that says, hey, where this thing is going great and it's humming along, whether this is tough, whether it's costing me something. And friends, one of the messages you will hear all throughout this book is discipleship costs something. Right? It's not free. It's not easy. But it is worth it. And that's a message the Holy Spirit has for us today, is written so that you would follow Jesus even when it's costly. So are you ready to start the book of Mark with me? Let's dive in. Mark chapter 1. Prepare the way. Mark chapter 1. Let me encourage you to follow along in this. I'm going to read initially just the first 20 verses, and then we're going to go back and, and break it down. So we're going to read it first. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Underline that. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the, there's our word again, wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whom sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he... He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days came from Nazareth of Galilee, Jesus, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am pleased. Verse 12, then the Spirit immediately drove him out into the, here's our word again, the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, this time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent 
and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to him, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Father in heaven today, give us ears to hear. Open up our hearts and may we make room for you. Amen. Friends, if you're reading this, you're just going, these things are flying by at us, right? Okay, all of a sudden, here's appears John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is wearing a crazy outfit. He's telling people to prepare the way. Jesus shows up. They have a baptism. Uh, he goes into the wilderness for testing. John is arrested. Jesus calls the disciples. It's been 20 verses, right? <laughs> this would have taken the book of Matthew like three chapters to get through by now. I mean, the amount of stuff that has happened, the pace that has happened, it's easy to bounce off of and go, okay, all right, next, top next. So with Mark, we got to be a little bit more slow. Got to be a little bit more intentional to step back and see what the author is very clearly and intentionally doing. Let, let's talk about just some some big ideas of what's happening here. First of all, Mark wants you to know, without a shadow of the doubt, you have a calling. You have a calling. In fact, we see multiple callings in this chapter, and we can switch to the next slide here. You can see multiple callings in this chapter, right? But I want to focus on Jesus' calling, right? We could talk about John the Baptist one, and that's something. You could talk about what Jesus is called to. But I actually want to talk real quick about the disciples. See, in 20 verses or less, Jesus has appeared. He's been proclaimed the Son of God, and he walks up to some guys who are on a boat and goes, hey, do you want to follow me? I'm inviting you into something. Now, we know from the other Gospels it's not that truncated. In fact, some of those same fishermen, those early disciples, have been following John, right? They've been preparing alongside with John for this coming Messiah. But the way Mark records it, it, it really is Jesus just walks up and says, I want you to follow me, and I will, what? And I will, see how you do? And I will, evaluate how good you are by the end? And I will make you. It is what I do. I will make you fishers of men. You know, that's kind of weird. <laughs> that's a weird, you know, I don't know what, you, what, what that conjures up in your mind, right? But Jesus is talking to these people who their whole career is fishing, right? These are, these are not just people who, you know, name, name their boat, you know, conference call, and they say, hey, I'm out on a conference call, right? This isn't just a weekend hobby thing, right? These are people, this is their career, it's their job. It's the family business. You know, you got the big boats. It's big enough that they have hired help. You go out in the middle of the night. You know, you do the deadliest catch thing, and then you come back in. It's life. And, and up walks Jesus. Out of the blue to these people. They were not at a prayer service, right? They, they were not at some sort of, you know, uh, special conference that was going on. There was no campfire. You didn't have a stick in your hand to throw in, right? Jesus just walks up and says, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. What an unusual phrase, fishers of men. This is what Jesus is saying. Because they knew enough to know 
that God's kingdom was at hand. They've been following John the Baptist. But see, what Jesus does is he invites them to participate in that. It's not just saying, and I will make you people who are like, holy like me. I'm going to make you people who are just, you know, excellent at prayer. What's the actual thing Jesus says? I will make you somebody who brings others along. You are going to be like you're, you're casting a net and you're, you're catching those who, who God has ordained and, and you bring them into the kingdom. You are going to have a share in this thing. I want you to be a part of bringing God's kingdom to other people, not just following Jesus. See, this is why what we get, you know, caught up in sometimes. We tend to think of it like this. Jesus says you, I will make you an excellent follower of me. And then we think that life is just, you know, me, my Bible, Jesus, and my closet, right? <laughs> and, and as long as I'm reading the Bible, and as long as I'm worshiping Jesus, right, that, that's it. That's everything, right? But Jesus actually has a calling and says, yes, you, you should be following me. Yes, it is about righteousness. But what I'm actually inviting you into is to be a part of bringing God's kingdom, us to be a part of, of bringing other people along on this thing, right? They have a calling. Friends, you have a calling. If you know Jesus, you have a calling. If you don't know Jesus, guess what? You have a calling. It's to know him. Do you know what it is? Okay, let me put it this well, nuance it a bit. You actually have callings, plural, right? More than one. There's a big calling. There's a big calling that each and every single one of us have, and that is to follow after Jesus and to become a fisher of men, to follow after Jesus being transformed into his likeness because of his work, not yours. I will make you this. And, and as you're doing that, to be a part of bringing God's kingdom to the world around you. That is the calling of every Christian. See, when someone comes up to me and they go, you know, Pastor Brian, I'm trying to find out what is the will of God for my life. Well, there's lots of answers to that. It's not just one. Most of the time, people mean, who should I marry or where should I go to college or wh whatever that is, right? Um, you know, what should I switch jobs? But the Bible actually says you have a very clear calling, and it's to follow Jesus. It's to be transformed in truth. It's, it's to be a part of sharing his word. Lots of things. You have this big idea calling. Every single person shares it here of following after Jesus and becoming a fisher of men. Everyone has that calling. Now... That's your big calling. There's actually lots of little callings in that, right? Bible talks about some of these things. I, I've been called to be an apostle. I've been called to be an evangelist. I, I've been called to live a single life, to dedicate my time and energy towards God. I've been called to, uh, to pastor. I've been called to move to uh, some place to spread the word of God there. Could be you are called to care for your children, Right? Could be your call to a certain workplace environment. There's lots of smaller callings. God has put you in a place. He has prepared good works in advance that you should walk in them. You have a ministry that God has assigned to you. Do you know what it is? See, all of us can know the big calling, but we've got lots of other ones too. What are you doing? What is the calling that Jesus has for you? See, and if you don't know what it is, if other than just maybe this big idea or something, you just kind of float through life and going, I, you know, I try to read my Bible and I do not do bad things. This, you know, 
Let me encourage you, please read your Bible and don't do bad things. I want you to hear that from me, all right? But, but there's actually more of the Christian life than that. God has something for you. And friends, I tell you, there's few things that will grow your faith like finding it and leaning into it. I hope you find it. I hope you find it during our series in the book of Mark here. Be thinking on that. You have a calling. But then let me say this second point on our next slide here. This calling is a journey, not a cruise. It's not a cruise, which, by the way, aren't, doesn't sound as good as it did pre-pandemic. I know, like, cruise, <laughs> cruise had a little bit more of a shine on it. It's a little bit more like, oh, I don't know about a cruise, right? But th th this journey is a journey with Jesus, a journey of discipleship, but it is not a cruise. There are some branches of, of you know, certain things of church that they want to teach this idea. If, if you're following God, then you know what? everything's going to work out for you, right? If you just have enough faith, you know, you're, you're never going to see that red line in your bank account or you're never going to have that blow up in the relationship or, you know, whatever it is. And if you do have bad things happen to you, it will probably you've got sin in your life somewhere, right? There's this weird kind of theology that I want to kick to the curb, okay? Because that's not biblical, Right? I understand it. Sometimes it preaches well, right? <laughs> Gets an amen here or there. But, but it's actually not from the Bible. Right? The Bible's really clear about this. Discipleship is a journey, not a cruise. And it comes at a cost. John the Baptist was such an amazing figure. First of all, it starts in the text by saying this. That when John appeared, he appears and he says this. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Who was that messenger? John. In fact, Jesus said, there has not been a person who has walked this earth who has as amazing as John. Up until this point, like John's the A-team. He's, he's as good as it gets. All the prophets, you go, whoa, wow, I mean, there's some pretty amazing people in the Old Testament. In Jesus' opinion, you don't get better than John, at least until the Spirit led followers that will follow after him. But, but at that point, he says, you don't get better than John. And what happens to John? He's arrested and beheaded. You go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If it was an equation... Righteousness equals prosperity in terms of health, in terms of wealth, in terms of relationships. Don't you think John would be like, you know, the next top billionaire, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't he be just the guy who everyone loves? But the reality of it is, John paid a cost. And in his very first 20 verses, we see incredible costs being paid. First of all, the guy's in the wilderness. He's wearing camel hair. I have personally never worn camel hair, okay? So I could be wrong in this, but it doesn't sound comfortable, okay? It really, it really does not sound like something that you want to be wearing all the time. He's got this leather belt. He's eating locusts. You know those they're kind of like little grasshopper type things, right? He's eating locusts and, and honey, and you're going, you know, you do you, man. Like, <laughs> that's kind of, but it's a little strange, right? He, he's actually doing, dressing a part. He's, he's recasting himself as Elijah come back, a person who lived way long before, a prophet that was going to be proclaiming this, this truth about God and God's people and this call to repentance. He's role-playing. 
This is like early Broadway, okay? <laughs> he's got set design. He's got costume. He's eating the part. He's actually living in the wilderness, so committed to this role that God has given him, this role as messenger, that he literally has moved into the middle of nowhere, right? It's the wilderness. And he's wearing these crazy things, and he's, he's being confrontational, right? How, how many of you think his friends and family joined him out there? This was a cost. This was a cost. And it ended up costing him his life. See, from the very beginning, the person who should be the hero dies within the first 20 verses. And you go, this is, this is how you open your book? It's how John opens his book. Because he wants you to know that you have a calling, but that it's a journey. It's not a cruise. And so, last point here. Because of that, you need to prepare. This is chapter 1, 1 through 20. You need to prepare. See, because you can only do the work of God through the power of God. And this isn't going to be some sort of just an easy breezy, right? You have your whatever too fruity cocktail drink on the boat and, you know, just enjoying the sun. It's going to be a challenge. There is a cost if you choose to follow Jesus. But it's worth it, friends. And you, you, you got to prepare for this. You know what's so amazing? When does Jesus actually start his ministry? Here's a question for you from chapter 1. And I'm running a little bit ahead on time on the sermon here, so I've got at least six minutes to wait if no one wants to answer. I will wait you out until it gets awkward. When did, when did in Mark chapter 1, when did Jesus officially begin his ministry. All right. He had it actually after the news about John. And when Jesus, after he had been baptized, right, and then what? Baptized and then the potluck? He goes into the wilderness. See, I, I want you to track this. There is a theology of the wilderness in the book of Mark. In fact, it's in all the Gospels. This is really fascinating. I don't have a lot of time to develop this, so, you know, buckle up. We're going to do it pretty fast here. There is a theology of the wilderness here. In fact, if you look at, at the words, the wilderness comes up, right? comes up in verse 3, comes up in verse 4. Jesus is driven to it uh, in verse 12, and it's talked about in 13. 13 verses. The word wilderness comes up four times in 13 verses. That's kind of weird. It's kind of bizarre, right? What's going on? Well, John appears, um, John appears in the wilderness. Think back in your Old Testament. What happened in the wilderness? Well, lots of things happened in the wilderness. It's where God's people were brought to after they came out of captivity, captivity and slavery. It's a place where they found uh, that they had this constant struggle between uh, following these false gods and, and following the one true God. It was, it was a place where they were kind of pruned away from some of these idols and desires that they had while they were living in Egypt. The wilderness was a place where God actually gave them his law. And if you notice that, by the way, that's an important point. It's a different sermon, but it's an important point. God called them his people before he gave them his law. 
right? The relationship was because God said so, not because they were being obedient. They didn't get the law until they were wandering around in the wilderness for years and years and years. There's this whole thing of the wilderness. In fact, you read the minor prophets. It's it's all throughout this. God says, "I, I met you as one who had hidden away in the wilderness. See, the wilderness is this. It's this place of separation. It's this place where the normal routines, where where the things that, that drive our hearts, where the things that pull our attention slowly fade away, and we come to a place where we go face-to-face with our demons, where we come face-to-face with our God. It's a place of commitment. It's a place of new beginnings. There's no mistaking why John went to the wilderness. If you think the guy was just interested in being an influencer and having the biggest number of clicks and likes and all that, where would he have gone? Jerusalem. (laughs) Where did he actually go? The middle of nowhere, right? He goes into the wilderness. People have to come to him. They have to come to the wilderness to hear the message of God. And then Jesus, he is baptized. Why? (laughs) If the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and God says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. But even Jesus waits for the power of the Holy Spirit before he starts his ministry in earnest. Because you cannot do the work of God without the Spirit of God. You got to prepare. You need power from above. But you also need strength from within. And so the Spirit, as soon as it descends upon Jesus, drives him into the wilderness for 40 days. Does the number 40 in wilderness click anything in anybody's mind here? Right? Jesus is reenacting, living out this journey of faith that God's people went on and they didn't do so well in. (laughs) He's reliving this, except the way it was intended to be. Living this journey in the wilderness of shedding these, these are things, of focusing on God, of building up a spiritual strength within him. He's doing exactly what the children of Israel were meant to do. And after that moment, his ministry starts. Friends, you got to prepare. See, God is calling you to something. There's this big calling, Christ-likeness, right, of being a part of God's kingdom. We all share. But then you have other callings too. Things that God has prepared in advance for you uniquely, not the person next to you, that you should walk in them. But it's not going to be easy, and you got to know that up front. There is a cost to pay for discipleship. It's a journey, not a cruise. And so you got to prepare you got to have some spiritual power. Friends, if you are not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, if you are not walking in the Spirit and in truth, and I'm not talking this divine perfection at all times, but this heart and this orientation that says, even when I get it wrong, God, I want to I ask forgiveness and I want to follow you, right? That is spiritual power. You will see walls come down in your life. You will see waters part. You will see lives changed. Because that's what God's calling is for you. But you got to have spiritual power for it. Even Jesus waited until the presence of the Spirit to begin in earnest. And then secondly, you need inner strength. You need power from outside. You need strength from within. You know what that looks like? Friends, you need a wilderness experience. Because God's in the wilderness. There's a place. There's a time. There's a stillness where we come to God 
And we say, God, would you help my heart shed like heavy cloaks all these things that are pulling me from you? Where you actually face your demons, right? You look at your hunger, you look at your thirst, and you say, what is, what's pulling me away? What's the thing in my life that if I were honest about, right, with myself, because it's not honesty to God. God knows how much of a mess you are more than you do, right? <laughs> it's honest with myself, right? This is the thing, or these are the things that are keeping me from really living out this life with Jesus. God, I, I want to lay it down. What's the thing that charms your heart? See, in the wilderness, you find that answer. And you lay it down. In that place, you find incredible inner strength. Because this journey is going to require it, friends. Here's my hope. Here's my hope for us. My hope is this isn't just, hey, I like learning interesting facts about, you know, the Bible. And so that's why I'm coming. <laughs> Here's my prayer. That this is actually a marker for us to begin a journey with Jesus. I say 14 weeks. We're looking down a fall. It's fall kickoff. You're, you're looking down. What is, what's life like? What am I doing? If I'm breathing, God has a purpose for me. Am I living it? Or am I just caught up in all these other things? And I, I feel like I'm this cold, distracted individual. It's time for a journey. And I want us to go on it together. And, and maybe to prepare ourselves for this, maybe this week you need a bit of a wilderness. You know, maybe that looks like for you intentionally choosing to create some, some space, some margin, and, and to look through your life and give an honest evaluation and say, man, God, how do I prepare myself for this? What is it that John says? When John's coming, what does he actually say? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths. And friends, throughout the course of life, all the paths in our hearts get all sorts of crooked. <laughs> we get pulled all these different ways. We get cold. We get callous, right? We get bogged down in fear or self-criticism or all these sort of things. Make a straight path. This week, make a straight path. Prepare your heart because God has something for you. You know, friends, as the worship team comes up, this is why I love generosity, by the way, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right, you make a straight line to what God is doing. We're going to respond uh, for a moment. We're going to sing a final song. I'm going to invite you all to join us downstairs for a party. But before we do that, here's what I really want to call you to. Before we come to this place of singing this song, before we come to this place of celebration, I want you to commit. Maybe it's commit to eating bagels, right, every Sunday with me. I'm making that commitment, right? But, but I want all of us to make a commitment to say, God, I want to go on a journey. I want to create space this week, and I want to prepare the way for you to make a difference. God, I want to reflect and remember all the ways that you've been faithful to us. God, I want to anticipate all the ways that you will be faithful to us, that we will remember what you've done, and it will lead us down the path of righteousness for your namesake. So here's something to get you started. Are you ready to celebrate something? To celebrate the goodness and faithfulness of God. Friends, we went on a journey this summer to raise $100,000 to build a church in Rwanda. You want to know why? 
because God had a calling for this church together collectively. Now, I got to tell you, that was a bit of a stretch. Uh, that was, there was real question marks in, in our minds whether this church could accomplish that. It's a crazy season, like tons of people are living in other states now, and who's even here, right? The pandemic economy, it's craziness. It was a bit of a bold prayer. It was a bold ask. I, I saw in some people's eyes going, ooh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, we'll see, right? We'll see. You want to know what's amazing? Because of God's goodness, because of your generosity, we have raised $100. It's more than 100 I promise you that. It's more than 100 <laughs> $111,952.13. Friends, I want to tell you why this matters. I really want you to let that sink into your heart. I mean, not, not only were we able to raise that and just the generous outpouring from so many people, and believing that so many lives are going to be changed. And friends, this is a beautiful moment. But what I want us to do is I want us to capture this in our hearts. Because this is a lesson. This is a lesson for me. It's a lesson for you. That we serve a God of abundance. We serve a God who provides. And that tomorrow, next week, when it gets hard. Because there is a cost to following Jesus. You know what we do? We remember $111,000. We remember the day that we were saved. We remember how there is a God in heaven who will stop at nothing to fight for his people. Stand with me today as we remember him. Amen.